0: A report has just come in report on CNN an asteroid 1 kilometer in diameter has just struck in the heart of Brazil the fireball and the winds it generated has leveled the cities for hundreds of miles in every direction including the mega cities of Rio de Janeiro Sao Paulo millions mm-hmm are confirmed dead. Most of the Amazon jungle, which was a major source of our world's oxygen, has been incinerated. The wave from the impact was felt as an earthquake for thousands of miles, crumbling cities throughout all of Latin America. News flash 24 hours later. Scientists have observed a pall of smoke and dust that is now shrouding the Earth, drastically reducing the amount of light that is reaching our planet from the sun and possibly precipitating an ice age. News flash, 48 hours later, another asteroid two kilometers in diameter hits the Earth. This time, the asteroid has impact in the Atlantic Ocean, creating a giant tidal wave and multiple tsunamis that have swept over the coastlands of adjacent continents. As you can see here from this map, the asteroids that have struck our planet have come from what is called the Cooper Belt. There are millions and millions and billions of asteroids that surround our solar system. Unfortunately, two of them have now struck the Earth. One in the, in the jungle of Brazil and one in the Atlantic Ocean. There is havoc throughout the world. These tidal waves and horrific destruction that have been caused make the Katrina hurricane of 2005 seem like a leaky faucet. News flash. Three days later, total chaos in the eastern part of the U.S., all parts of Europe, Asia, and parts of Africa. After Americans realize that the government is unable to help them in their suffering, they begin to take matters into their own hands. There is lawlessness, shootings, murder, rape, and torture. All systems have broken down and the president issues a national state of emergency. He nationalizes the National Guard and initiates curfews throughout the land. Congress calls for an emergency session and they consult with the Pope and conclude that God must be angry at mankind And if we go back to our traditional family values, then God will show mercy and remove these curses. One of the most critical family values to be restored is the traditional Sunday worship. The Congress, in their great wisdom, they create what they call the domestic Tranquility Committee, whose job is to reward those who are abiding by these traditional family values and to punish those who are not. All economic development programs are tailored to reward those who comply and to punish those who do not comply. As the government works to restore order and to bring essential systems like water, fuel, food, and sewage, to the people of the country, the president uses his executive power to stipulate that only those who are approved by the president and this new domestic tranquility committee are to receive access to these services. Now, I have just painted for you a picture of a possible scenario for the end time events. And no matter what scenario you think will play out, most Christians, most Christians agree that we're getting closer and closer to the end time and the point when Christ will return. But as we move closer to that cosmic event, when we have to give, when we will have to give an account of our life on this earth. The question on the floor is, what will your conversation with God sound like? What will that conversation sound like? Do you look forward to that conversation, or do you fear it? And so thus I have titled this sermon this morning, To Hear Well Done, or to be well done? That is the question. To hear well done or to be well done? That is the question. You know, if we are honest with ourselves, and I hope that everyone here is, we will recognize that all of us like to be praised. We like to hear people say to us, well done. When we're children, we we work hard to to do things to make our parents say to us, well done, Johnny and Mary. As we grow older and to be young teenagers and young adults, we we work and and we seek to have affirmation from everyone around us. And we like to be told that we've done a good job. Even when we know we don't deserve it, we still like to hear it. There is something about the human psyche that makes us crave for praise and affirmation and to hear, well done. When I was a young, engineer at the IBM Corporation. We used to work hard and to, to make our numbers and do things. And so we, we, we would do that because at the end of the year, we wanted to hear our company say, well done. Well done, Bob. Good job. You met your quota. Good job. Well done. When I was a young man in high school, I played football, believe it or not. And I started out as a quarterback. Now, back in the old days, if you were a black man who wanted to play quarterback, that was unusual. They Somehow, they found a way to, to, to not let you play quarterback, and so I fell into that trap. Now, I thought I was pretty good. In my mind, I was pretty good, but uh, the coach didn't think so, and so what he did was he put me in what's called at the cornerback and the free safety position, because I was kind of fast, you know. and so. I was in the free safety position there, and that was the position where, for those who who might be football challenged here today, the free safety typically is a real fast little guy who is free to roam the field. And his objective is to prevent the other team from scoring but he's called a free safety, he is free to roam any place on the field that he wants to. And so I was the free safety. Now I must admit to you that I was a flamboyant free safety. See, I'm one of them brothers that, you know, this is before Deion Sanders, I wore the red bandana, I had hair back then, that I had corn young people, so corn rolls are not new young people, had cornrows, my little bandana on, and I wore these, these, these knee-high white socks. I mean, I had to make sure that everybody in the stadium saw me, okay? And so, you know, I was a real flamboyant free safety, and I would talk trash to the other team. I mean, you know how we do, guys. And so, but what was fascinating was, is that every Monday morning after the game, the coach, before practice, would show the game film. He would show the film. And so I always tried to make sure that I did something really fantastic. So when he showed the film, he would show Bob Wallace, you know, making this tackle or making this interception or something really noteworthy. And I craved for that attention to hear the coach say to me, Bob, well done. And for some time, I was able to make that happen. I would make special plays and, you know, Monday morning film. The coach would say, Wallace. And he called me Governor, by the way. He called me Governor. And I hated that name, Governor, because because my last name was Wallace, and this is back in the 70s. (laughs) And I was one of the few African-Americans on the team. So he called me Governor, after Governor Wallace and I hated that. He knew I hated it too, but he called me governor. But he was saying, good job, well done, governor. This one game, last game of the season, the biggest game of the year, we had what I thought was at least thousands of people in the stadium, maybe it, was, maybe it was less, but in my mind it was thousands, right? The biggest game of the year. And I'm playing free safety. Now this team from Delaware had this running back. He was an unusual running back because he was about 240 pounds, over six feet tall, and had thighs the size of an oak tree. He was world. he was renowned throughout the entire region, and so we were playing this team, and I was playing free safety. Well, as fate would have it, this running back, this unusually large running back, broke through the line. Got beyond, yes sir, got beyond Got past the linebackers, and it was just he and I. It's called an open field, an open field tackle. I was the only thing between him and the goal line. This was my opportunity to shine. Talking about running the film again on Monday, this was my opportunity to be a hero. It was my opportunity to stand out and hear my coach say, "Wow, governor, well done. So back in the old days in football, we were taught to tackle with your shoulder and your head, which they don't do today, by the way. Thank God. So I lowered my head, lowered my shoulder, and began to tackle this gigantic running back. Now, all I remember All I remember is making contact. After that, it all goes dark. And so I woke up. <laughs> I woke up and looked up from the ground. I had been knocked out from the collision. He has scored the touchdown and they won the game. And so there we have next the Monday morning tapes, the film. Now my coach, Now this is one film I didn't want to see. This is one film I wish they had torn it up and burned it up, but they didn't. Now I will tell you what my coach did. He was so cruel. What he did was he, would run, he, he ran the film, and the part where I was trying to tackle this running back and we collided, he would play it over and over again. He would play it and rewind it. He would play it and rewind. I'm not kidding you. And I, was, I felt like that big at that moment. That was one film that I didn't want to hear. But today, though, we have a choice, talking about showing the film and about hearing well done or being well done. We have a choice to make because we can choose whether we hear well done or that we end up being well done. Do we hear it or do we be it? You don't believe me? Look at what the Lord says in the book of Matthew, chapter 25. He begins the story about the kingdom for the kingdom of heaven is is, as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants. And delivered them his goods. But the point I want to bring to your attention is what he says. But the Lord says to those who were good stewards. He says in 20 in Matthew 25, 21, his Lord said unto him, Well done. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things, and I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou, enter thou into the joy of of thy Lord, to hear, well done. But the, the converse of that is, be well done. And the Lord is very clear in his word on that outcome for those who don't accept him and live in the kingdom. Isaiah 66, 23 through 24. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, and from one Sabbath to another, shall all flesh come to worship before me, saith the Lord. And they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me. For their worms shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched, and they shall be an abhorring unto all flesh." Matthew, just so we get the message here, Matthew thirteen forty-one through 42. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Revelation. Make sure you really, really get it. Revelation chapter 20, verses 10 through 15. Revelation 20, verses 10 through 15. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place. For them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. The books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death my Lord, to be well done. Now, if you had to choose between the two, to hear well done or to be well done, what would a logical thinking man or woman conclude? And I would hope and pray that everyone here in this room and those that we can touch have chosen to desire to hear Well done. Well done. And you know, as I have gotten older, I'm still a young man, but I've gotten older. As I've gotten older and I recognize that I have fewer years ahead of me than I have behind me on average, I recognize that what I desire most in life right now is to live my life in such a way that when we had, when God and I had this one-on-one conversation, that he would say to me, Robert, well done. I know you made some mistakes. I know you didn't do everything the right way. I know, but son, well done. And so I desire to live my life that way. I want to I hear the Lord tell me, Robert, well done. And so what I want to do now is talk about with you briefly what, how must we live our life now so that we, all of us, may hear the Lord say, well done. And I'm not talking about trying to earn our way into heaven. I'm not talking about that. I just want to show, be able to show my appreciation for what God has done for me. That's all I want to do. I just want to show my appreciation that, Lord, I tried. I tried to be a good man. I tried to do your will. Although I fell short, Lord, I tried. And now when I want to hear the Lord say to me, Robert, well done. So, how must we live our lives today so that we can hear those beautiful, wonderful words, well done, my son or my daughter? And to explain what I think we must do, how we must live our lives now to be able to hear God say to us in eternity, well done, my good and faithful servant i like to use the backdrop, if you will, of a corporation, of a business. Now, don't get nervous, because I know some of y'all get real nervous when you talk about business and money in the church. But let me explain my point. See, when you're in business and you are selling your services to someone, you're usually usually selling to a corporation or government. And in the corporate world, there is what we call the C-suite, the C, like the letter C, C-suite, okay? So if you can sell to the C-suite or at that level, you, can, you have a higher probability of being successful at selling that company. Now the C-suite consists of people like the chairman of the board, you follow me? The chief, the CEO, the chief executive officer, if you will, and the COO, the Chief Operating Officer. That's called the C-suite. I would argue, to use my backdrop of business, there's also a G-suite, if you will. G as in God. There is, and for my analogy here, the chairman of the board in this cosmic corporation that I speak of, I'm using a business backdrop here to explain this point. The the, the chairman of the board, in this analogy, is God the Father. I'm talking about now the G Suite. The CEO, if you will, in this analogy, is God the Son, Jesus. He is the CEO of this cosmic corporation I speak of. And the COO is God the Holy Spirit. This is our cosmic corporation. Now, any corporation, if you will, using this analogy, any corporation has to have certain things happen in that corporation. For example, first of all, you have to be admitted into the corporation. you got to get hired. Is that fair? All right. Then the corporation has to have objectives. They are in business to achieve certain objectives and that must be clear to the employees of that corporation. Thirdly, they must have assets to deploy in order to uh, to, uh, achieve the objectives. And then fourthly, they have to understand what is and who is their competition. They take these four realities and they enter into the marketplace, and I would argue If we use this backdrop of the cosmic corporation, where God is in charge and we are the employees, we are the workers, and we're working to achieve the objectives of this cosmic corporation. So if I take those four areas, admittance into the corporation, talk about the uh, admittance into the corporation, uh, the objectives, the assets that are given to the employees to invest, and then who the competition is. Let's take, first of all, admittance into this cosmic corporation. Now, when I worked at IBM, I had to interview to get into, to be admitted into IBM. There was a group of people I had to impress to show them how smart I was and how they should, in their wisdom, allow me into this great corporation called IBM, or Big Blue, as some have called it. Now, to gain admittance into this cosmic corporation that I speak of, it's quite simple. First of all, you don't need to wear a white shirt, or wingtip shoes, or a silk tie, or or, or even a Brooks Brothers suit. You don't have to know the king's English, or any English for that matter. You don't need letters behind your name. You don't need to be interviewed and approved by some admissions committee. Your financial statement and your net worth doesn't have to meet a certain level. To gain entrance into this corporation, all you have to do is drop to your knees and accept the gift of salvation through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's all you got to do. You don't write no letters. You don't send no emails. Just drop to your knees and accept the gift of God. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting eternal life. Ephesians 1, 4 through 8, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. So he chose you, you, and you before you were born. He chose you before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us, my Lord. Everybody here should say amen on that one. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, we are children of God, the God of the universe, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, where he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he have abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. My Lord. That's how we get in, folks. We get in through Christ. For by grace are ye saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, lest any man or woman should boast. So we gain admittance, And to this corporation, real simple, no ties are necessary, no Brooks Brothers suits, no proposals, no four page resumes. All we have to do is drop to our knees, say, Lord God, I accept the gift you've given me. I accept it in the name of Jesus. So that is the admittance into this cosmic corporation. We now move to the cosmic business objectives. What are the objectives? What are the objectives? Matthew 22, 35 through 40. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him, Jesus, a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Christ said unto him, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments, on these two commandments, hang all the law and the prophets. Ephesians 2, 10. For we are, we, you and I, we are his what? His workmanship, my Lord. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Good works. So through Christ, our efforts, our efforts that are insignificant on their own but wrapped up in Jesus, they become good works. And these, these good works ascend up to the Father in a sweet-smelling fashion. That He sees it and he smells it and he is he's impressed by it. Now, God, what God expects from us is a, what I call in my book a spiritual return on investment, a S-R-O-I. See, in business, we use a term called ROI, return on investment, so that when I invest my resources, I expect to get more back. That gives me a return on investment. And what God and this cosmic corporation requires is that we return a spiritual return on investment, an SROI, as I, as I call it. And what are we doing? We are deploying our assets to do a couple of things. We're using the power of God to strengthen the saints of God, to provide them the, abundant help them get to the, the abundant life See, I would submit to you that there are many of us who live our lives, and we never get to that point where God wants us to be. He wants to give us so much. But we, in the way we live and think, we miss out on it. And so the objectives of this cosmic corporation is to strengthen and build up the saints, to help them pro- help provide the abundant life for all saints. And then secondly, it is to expand the kingdom. To expand the kingdom, as of July 2005, there were 239 countries, 6.5 billion people with different world religions. According to Time Time Magazine, Christianity was one-third, one-third of the people on the planet are Christians, 21% Islam, 16% are non-religious, 14% Hindu, and others. If we are to expand the kingdom, then we in this cosmic corporation, we have to be about the Father's business to achieve the objectives, to build up the saints, to expand the kingdom. And we have much work to do. There was an article that was done in the, uh, I think it was Time Magazine, and uh, no, uh, uh, Newsweek, and it talked about spirituality in America. Now, what struck me was this. They broke down the different denominations that that Americans are involved in as far as religion and spirituality. And they had one-third were evangelical Protestants, 25% were what they called non-evangelical Protestants, 22% were Roman Catholic, 5% were what they called other Christian, 1% Jewish, 1% Muslim, and 3% other non-Christian, and then 10% were atheists. And I looked at that survey, and and nowhere did I see the Seventh-day Adventist Church. We were a footnote. We were a footnote. Now, I'm not suggesting that we are validated by sources like this, but what I am saying is that whether or not someone believes in our doctrine or not, they should know about it. If we are the remnant church, and I believe that we are, my heart and soul, if we are, then we have to do a better job of getting our theology out there. The world should know about us and what we believe and our theology. We were, in this survey at least, we were a footnote. And if we are the remnant church, and I believe we are, we have a lot of work to do in this cosmic corporation. I now move to the competition. Who is the competition in this cosmic corporation? Who are we competing against? Amen, sister. Webster defines competition as the act of competing rivalry contest for the same outcome. Who are we talking about as our competition in this cosmic corporation? Amen, brother. Revelation 12, 7 through 10, makes it very clear. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceives the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Revelation twelve twelve. Therefore rejoice ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. But woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he have but a short time." There's the competition. And this cosmic corporation where God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit rep- represent the G Suite of this corporation. Therein lies our competition. See, when I was a younger man, I used to view the world through black and white lenses. I was a child of the 60s and the 70s. And my view was you were either black or you were white. That's how I viewed the world. You were either black or white. Because during the 60s and 70s, there was unrest in our nation and that people of color were being being attacked and so I viewed the world in black and white. But as I have gotten older, my view has changed. I now view the world as saved and unsaved. Doesn't matter your color to me anymore. Doesn't matter where you came from, or where you went to school, or how many letters are behind your name. You're either saved or unsaved, This dichotomy my, my dichotomy has changed, and therefore I recognize that the competition is there. Ephesians six twelve, and you all know this very, very well. Ephesians six twelve, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. Now what are principalities? They are positions and territory and jurisdictions of, of a prince is what it means. That a prince, a prince of darkness in this case, is controlling these territories against powers, against the rulers, power, position, prestige, influence of darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. People, these boys and girls ain't playing. They are serious. They even have their own prayer. Their own prayer. Because they are, a, they are a counter to God's government. They have their own organization and strategy and their corporation, if you will. And they have their own prayer, Our Father, who art in hell, hellish is thy name. Thy kingdom come that will be done on earth as it is in hell. They are not playing. And therefore, we, the people of God, have to take them serious. Take them seriously. Because they're not playing. So the world is no longer in black and white. It is saved or the unsaved. They are the competition. Because we are competing for the souls of humanity. We have to get out to the world and tell them about our Lord and Savior. That he's already saved you. All you got to do is accept it. Accept it. Come unto him, all you who are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Accept it. And that is our competition. Now, what does God give us? What does he give us to do to work in this cosmic corporation? What do we do? What do we have? We have now this this, this corporation. We have the objectives of this cosmic corporation that is run by God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We know who the competition is. Now we must go out and work, you and I, for the G-suite for God. What does he give us to work? He gives us, first of all, salvation through Christ. See, that's it right there. He gives us salvation through Christ. Then he gives us time, time on this planet. And this time in Christ is powerful. He gives us this temple of God, this body that takes us through this life. And in Christ, this body can be a strong advocate, a strong force for the force of God. He gives us talent. He gives us treasure, the stuff of life. And all these things put together in Christ will allow us to work to achieve the objectives of this cosmic corporation, which is to build up the saints to an abundant life and then to expand the kingdom of God so that none would be lost. He gives us what we need, folks, to reach the objectives of this cosmic corporation. And so, as we look at our lives and look at what is that that we are doing and what can we do to help this corporation to achieve its objectives? To build up the saints of God to the abundant life, to expand the kingdom on this earth so that none would be lost. And so as I conclude this analogy of this cosmic corporation that is headed by the G Suite God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We know what our objectives are. We understand the competition. We know what God has given us to fight the competition and to get market share, if you will. Or how about soul share? So we can represent our God. So as I conclude that analogy, I'm reminded of my time at IBM. And back in the IBM days, we had what was called the, the IBM Club. The IBM Club. And the club was reserved for those who had had a successful business year, who had met the objectives of IBM. They were, we were, we were given money, and we were sent to Hawaii for a week or two, all paid for by the company. We got all these accolades and, 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 and all these awards. It was a nice thing. And there was another club that IBM had. It was called the Golden Circle. Now, the Golden Circle was reserved for those who were special. See, to get to the Golden Circle, you had to really achieve the objectives. You had to really sur- surpass them and do, and do un- unusual things of success in that environment. And IBM called that the golden circle. And so all of us in IBM, we all strived to get to the club every year and then maybe, just maybe, get to the golden circle. But that was when my focus was on hearing a well done from man, my focus now is to hear well done from my Lord and Savior. See, these clubs, these golden circles, they're fine in their their proper perspective. But what I want to do, my objective now is to hear my Lord say to me, Robert, well done. And so if you think about your role in the cosmic corporation, if you will, that is led by God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And you're clear on the objectives. And you're clear on the role that you are to play in this cosmic corporation. I want you to, read, to, to, to hear these words that were written by our sister, Sister White. Because sometimes life gets hard. Can I get an amen to that? Sometimes it gets rough out here. And I know many of us come here sometime week after week, Sabbath after Sabbath, and we're beaten down and beat up. And when you're beaten down and beat up, sometimes you got to look out. You got to look beyond your situation and look to the club. Look to the golden circle, if you will, and think about what awaits you when you get through this battle. And I want to I share with you in closing some words from our sister, Sister White. This is from early writings, pages 16, 17, and 18. And I always have this vision of how, what heaven will be like. And it's not, you know, this is just my vision. This is not written down somewhere, so forgive me. But I, but I, I just, you know, there, there are things in, of heaven that we know not of yet. God gave us a glimpse, but we don't know the whole, the whole story yet until we get there. But Sister White talks about this a bit, and she gives us a glimpse of what it may be like. And so as you are fighting your battles, as you are achieving the objectives of this cosmic corporation, think about what waits for us in eternity future. Oh, my Lord. This is what she says. This is what she says. Then Jesus' silver trumpet sounded, I like that, as he descended on the cloud, wrapped in the flames of fire, he gazed on the graves of the sleeping saints, then raised his eyes and hands to heaven and cried, awake, 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 ye that sleep in the dust and arise, Then there is a mighty earthquake, my Lord. The graves opened and the dead came up clothed with immortality. The 144,000 shouted, hallelujah, as they recognized their friends who had been torn from them by death. And in the same moment, we were changed and caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. We all entered the cloud together and were seven days ascending to the sea of glass. When Jesus brought the crowns, and with his own hands, his own right hand, he placed them, this is Jesus himself, he placed them on our heads. Our crowns are placed on our heads by Jesus himself. This is her vision of of what she saw, it's beautiful. He gave us harps of gold, palms of victory. And here on the sea of glass, the 144,000 stood in a perfect square. Some of them had very bright crowns, others not so bright. But check this out. Some crowns appeared heavy with stars, while others had but a few stars. All were perfectly satisfied with their crowns. Come on now, somebody should say amen on that. And they were all clothed with a glorious white mantle from their shoulders to their feet. Angels were all about us as we marched over the sea of glass to the gate of the city. Jesus raised his mighty glorious arm, laid hold of the pearly gate, swung it back on its glittering hinges, and said to us, Those of you who are wondering today, he says to us, According to this vision, he said to us, you have washed your robes in my blood. Not in the world, in my blood. You have stood stiffly for my truth. He says, enter in. We all marched in and felt that we had a perfect right in the city. My Lord. But here is a little bald head, uh, a bow-legged boy from the from, from Baltimore and Cherry Hill, who feels, who walks into the kingdom of God, and feels he has the perfect right to be there, glory to God. With Jesus at our head, we all descended from the city down to the earth, down to this earth, on a great and mighty mountain, which could which could not bear Jesus up, and it parted asunder, and there was a mighty plain. Then we looked up and saw the great city with 12 foundations and 12 gates, three on each side and an angel at each gate. And we all cried out, the city, the great city, it's coming, it's coming down from God out of heaven. And it came and it settled on the place where we stood. Then we began to look at the glorious things outside the city. This part I really like. There I saw most glorious houses. (laughs) Come on now. I saw most glorious houses that had the appearance of silver supported by four pillars set with pearls, most glorious to behold. These were to be inhabited. Let me say it again. These were were to be inhabited by the saints. By the saints. And each one was, and each house was a golden shelf. And I saw many of the saints go into the houses, take off their glittering crowns, (laughs) come on now, and lay them on the shelf, then go out into the field by the houses to do something with the earth, not as we have to do with the earth here, no, no. A glorious light shone all above their heads, and they were continually shouting and offering praises to God. So saints, so as we leave here and Satan tries to play back that tape, that game tape on Monday morning, that game tape that showed you how you messed up and how you made a mistake. And if he keeps playing it over and over and over again, I want you to point to eternity future. And you tell him, this is where I'm going. This is where my God has prepared for me and nothing you can do can stop it. Therein lies the truth. Therein lies the reason that we labor on this earth so that we may partake of this wonderful, glorious place. And I pray, beloved, that no one here grows weary. No one gets tired of this battle, this fight. And I know it's hard sometimes. I know it's hard sometimes. I know sometimes we may feel like giving up, But when you do, when it gets too hard, think about this place. Think about this place. And I tell you, it'll lift you up. It'll give you courage and help you to not give up in the fight.